Hi, Tim Kask here. Faced with a TPK and have no idea what to do? Well, you might have, had you listened to Save or Die. You burst through the door. You find a small room filled with gold and jewels. And a red dragon, he starts to Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Let me be an Apple hipster for a second. My phone and watch are both silent. My phone <laughs> Nobody likes a gloater, Jim. I know. I have a flip phone. Seriously. <laughs> Snoochy boochies, everybody. It's Save or Die, episode 108. We return to Attack of the Clones. We are covering basic fantasy role-playing game. I am, of course, DM Mike, as usual. And with me, reporting live from the Hypercube, is DM Jim. Greetings, programs. And also with us is a woman who recently graduated from Texas Women's University and is therefore officially a Texas woman. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Hello, everyone. It's good to finally be official. <laughs> <laughs> and we are joined by a couple of guests this episode. The first, the best gaming podcaster from Wyoming, DM Corbett. Greetings, Starfighters. <laughs> it is Wyoming, yeah. right? Yep, I'm, I am the number one, uh, I'm running the number one podcast out of Northwest Wyoming, which, it's big. <laughs> <laughs> Seethe in envy, everyone. <laughs> and to help us dissect the basic fantasy role-playing game is the author of the game and part-time black-winged panther, Chris Solomariah Gonnerman. Hey, you pronounced it right. Really? Okay. Yeah. Which one? The Salamaria or the Ghana? All of it, actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All of it. And I'm glad to be here. Damn it, Mike. Are we trying to review something with the author on here? What? <laughs> I'm afraid so. You keep doing that. But first, we need to talk about... What did we do at David this week? Who cares? What have we done in gaming this week? We'll start with Jim. Oh, you always start with me now. We just played last night. Uh, the Mutant Murder Hobos had a big night. Um, they did the basic error of... Uh, they, they engaged in the classic blunder of never engaged in a war in Southeast Asia. No, they uh, split the party. <laughs> Man, I hate it when that happens. That and they, they didn't just split the party. They split the party right before I had them set up to be ambushed. So all the tanks went... Away from the ambush, and all the weak, three of the weak characters rode right into the ambush. And oh. uh, so it was looking like a TPK for certain. And uh, I just, I love my group. I love my players. And I love the mutual respect that we have for each other because this is how I like the game. They, once they realized what they'd walked into, they knew it could happen. 
there was no doubt. I mean, I'm not a bastard DM, but they knew. I'm rolling my dice out in front of the table. Everybody can see what's about to happen. So they knew their asses were in a corner. And uh, so there's a, the three players who got trapped that way. One is brand new. Is a teenager. He just started gaming with us, so it's only his second session. He's never played tabletop RPGs before, so he's still in World of Warcraft. He's just like, "Well, I fire my gun," you know. He he doesn't understand what's about to happen. The the kid that did understand, Mark, saw his opportunity to make a break for the brush and took off and ran. <laughs> and uh, you guys, I'm going home. <laughs> I I am like never been more proud of uh, my player Nikki in my life because they. Uh, because the mutant murder hobos were dimension hopping, they picked up her character, who's a DCC wizard, in Stonehill Dungeon, and brought her back to the post-apocalyptic future, where she had uh, patroned herself to one of the global artificial intelligences. So uh, as soon as she realized what's going on, she's cracking the books, going, "Oh my God, I got to do something here!" And she spell burned all her abilities t- down to the Stone Age, burned all her luck, and got off an invoke patron. Of like on a d20 plus her level roll, she got like 30 or 31 on her spell check, and uh, the effect she she was so happy with herself. She she she's reading me the the effect out of the rules, even though I wrote it. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so like uh, her patron AI had a uh, orbiting satellite with gene banks and long range transmat that did gene surgery on her and transformed her into a seven foot giant with 24 strength, agility, stamina, and 100 extra hit points. Wow, super sized. Uh, OMAC, One Man Army Corps from Jack, <laughs> old 70s Jack Kirby comics. And then she just wiped 11 guys off the face of the earth. <laughs> so I'm like, that's a good game. You know, facing the TPK, she did what a wizard's got to do. So is that um, Jean no. splicing permanent, or is she going to go back to her normal form eventually? Uh, it, it, the it, the spellcheck effect reads, until the end of combat. So by the time her uh, other two compatriots came back out of the brush, she was back to her normal little female wizard stuff but she had collected everybody's heads so she was sitting there like Lucy Lou and Kill Bill like <laughs> any of you got anything else to say so that's pretty good for somebody who wasn't even comfortable playing a wizard when she rolled it up she's like I've never played one before I'm like you'll get the hang of it and damned if she hasn't and uh, the other thing real quick is uh, Gen Con uh, event registration went live at noon today, and my Mutant Crawl Classic games all sold out in the first five minutes, so that's pretty gratifying. Thank you, oh, everybody who awesome. signed up. Congratulations. All right, Liz. Well, compared to that, you know, <laughs> I don't have much. Um, you actually game. I did actually game. You know, now that the BFA has been achieved, I'm back in our second edition weekly game. So this has been my second game session since being able to come back. I'm playing a much different character than the last time. The last campaign, I was a cleric of the god Lathander. And this time around, I'm playing a half-elf combination magic user thief. And Hmm. the personality is just totally opposite from my former character. And I think it's taking some of our gaming group a little off guard, because usually I play the quiet, really nice and sort of lawful or at least neutral good type characters. And, you know, this thief is like, oh, I found a bag of gems. No, I'm not telling the others. You know, (laughs) she and my half sassy remarks and (laughs) are. Debating the merits of setting fire to the tavern. Yeah, 
much stuff like that. Having, it's really hard to escape the notice of these people, but if we set fire to their tavern, then, you know, they won't <laughs> notice because they'll be busy trying to save themselves. Nothing says subtlety like setting an entire town on fire. I know. Right. <laughs> exactly. It, it shows you care. <laughs> and the last game session, one of the things that we wound up doing, um, our, our party member, you know, played by Mead, Mead is back, uh, she is playing a gnome. Is also <laughs> who is also a paladin. Um, she's the first gnome paladin of her race's kind, as far as she's aware. So she's kind of learning what it means to be a paladin as she goes along. Um, anyway, how's that going? Us, <laughs> I expect. <laughs> Um, she's very cheerful about it all. Um, <laughs> it's like, wow, apparently it's wrong for me to lie. Who'd have thought? You know? <laughs> you know? But yeah, she took us to the underground gnomish um, city, enclave, whatever you want to call it, where she came from. And because they didn't really trust the half-ogre that Mike is playing, he was forced to stay in the main antechamber while the rest of us went in to seek an audience with the gnomish clerics. I was brutally served tea. Yes. Um, the rest of us were served food. And the gnomes... Well, the gnomes were playing a little trick on us, and so they served us food with these teeny tiny little utensils. Not gnomish size. Sort of like gnomish child-sized. So they were just <laughs> incredibly small. And my character, you know, gestured to one of the servers and suggested that it would be really, really great if they could send some of this wonderful food and these even more wonderful utensils to go with them to the half-ogre in the antechamber. Because if they were tiny for us, they'd be like, you know just minuscule for the half-ogre who's almost eight feet tall. And luckily, the gnome's sense of humor agreed that that would be a great idea. I was figuring they wouldn't even bother to feed him at all if they didn't think they could get a joke out of it. So they, they brought him food with the teeny-weeny little utensils, and the guards that were guarding him did not want to feed him, so they were being very surly about it and brutally serving him tea and sort of like tiny cakes. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, my half is going, oh, look, they, they gave me toothpicks. Mm. I'm surprised you didn't eat the silverware with it. <laughs> Who said I didn't? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I'll get them back eventually. Does this story end with you eating a gnome? Not yet, but I'm tempted. <laughs> that's pretty much just, that's all for me. Okay. Corbett, have you been gaming any or just existing? Podcasting. Ooh, oh. A little uh, walking the line between both, I would guess. But uh, I've mostly been doing a lot of writing for Gagman, trying to get caught back up because that's been uh, piled on. Um, oh, I got... Um, <laughs> I got served by the local library that I'm going to be running a Marvel superheroes game this summer. <laughs> they uh, local, they want to keep a local gaming thing going on at the library, which I'm totally volunteering for. But that's that's what I'm doing now. Apparently, wow, that's fun. Yeah, I just for those of us who grew up in the '80s, a library demanding to keep a gaming. <laughs> to keep gaming going there is like, wow, that's well, I've just... been 
volunteering like crazy, trying to get them to like, hey, you could do this. It's really not a big deal. Yet they have they have row after row of Minecraft computers running because that <laughs> matches up with books so well. Oh, oh sure. Yeah. But their actual summer literacy program is focused on superheroes because apparently there's some sort of big superhero movement in the movies and TV right now. I wouldn't know. Is there? Are the there flash? <laughs> I think I heard something about some kind of a superhero type movie. So are you gonna are you gonna theme your Marvel superheroes campaign to try and teach the kids like Age of Pride and Prejudice? <laughs> <laughs> that would be actually pretty. No, no, I'm gonna go straight. Four color comics. I'm a Kirby guy. Sorry. Age of Go Pride on. and Ultron. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I shouldn't speak too much because that's partially victorious right there. I was going to say, if you're going to be trying to do Pride and Prejudice, that's where victorious comes yeah, in. Yeah. Yeah. Corbett, you never have to apologize for being a Kirby file around me. I was. Uh, re- I noticed immediately in Avengers Age of Ultron that thanks to Disney settling with the Kirby family estate, that the created by Stanley and Jack Kirby credit is suddenly gone from after the after credits thing to right up front. Hey, Liz? Oh, I didn't even notice that. That's really cool. Liz? What? Who's Jack Kirby? <laughs> oh, don't. Okay, Chris, over to you, quick, before, <laughs> before Jim Vapor locks. Quick. 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 <laughs> Well, you we know, know you just came from a gaming session before I you joined did. us on the podcast. I did something incredibly unusual today. I played. I am the game master. I am the game master forever and always. I very, very rarely get to play my own game. Isn't it great? <laughs> uh, it's pretty cool. I played. Uh, we're we're playing at a fairly low level. Third, mostly third level characters. I played Radric the Grim, um, my cleric, who cracked a smile exactly one time in the entire adventure. Right after he got a flaming flaming maul, which way beats the hell out of the maul he was using. Because if you can't smile at that, what can you smile at? Yeah, but just for a moment, because you know he's grim, it's his thing. Right. We uh, we dealt with the usual assortment of undead zombies and skeletons and ghouls, oh my, uh, in a dungeon. And uh, actually, we got beat on by the maul because one of the skeletons was armed with it. Hmm. Um, so we had to take it away from him. We uh, <laughs> got, got the floor wiped with us, actually, at one point. But uh, we did the usual hole up in a room, spike the door shut, and wait until you can heal. Mm-hmm. Helped that we had three clerics in the party. Well, wow. okay, a druid, a, swear to God now, goblin witch doctor, and me. So <laughs> between the three of us, once we got to where we could actually regain healing spells again, we were pretty much, pretty much in good shape again. A pantheon of clerical support. Well, yeah, and then uh, rounding things out, we have a... Uh, a uh, typical female magic user, a typical ranger, and a extraordinarily typical um, two-handed sword-wielding human fighter. So, you know, we're the atypical bunch at the at the end that I was in. So, anyway, but yeah, it's uh, it's nice to play. I uh, we just came off of a campaign that had been running. Well, it, the campaign I guess is still going on, but they reached one of the climax points. And at this point, I actually have not a clue where my players are going to go. The whole world is their sandbox, and I'm waiting to find out which which of the various options they're going to take. Um, we just had a hell of a big fight with a bunch of uh, of the better quality lizard men, the ones that are smart enough to actually use tactics and good weapons, combined with oh, a handful of dragons. Um, just a handful. Just a handful. They dealt with the situation adequately. They had on their side a higher level wizard that sounded like a good deal, except... Uh, as soon as he arrived on the scene, he was riddled with arrows and uh, down to one hit point. <laughs> I hate it when so, that happens. <laughs> that's why they say glass cannon. But uh, 
anyway, um, yeah, so that's what I've been up to. Cool. Well, and I've been writing material, too, so. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, Liz pretty much covered our thing. Um, but the only thing I will announce uh, for listeners of the show, I've discovered a new podcast called One Player, and it covers uh, various war games that are run solitaire. I think our listeners would be interested in it because episode six covers outdoor survival. Huh. And we'll put the, sh- the address up in the show notes, but he basically tells you how to play and why it, he thinks it's really fun and most people don't. We'll put the link right next to the link for Corbett's Gagman podcast. It, well, yeah, exactly. Well, who would think playing a war game would be not fun? That's weird. <laughs> uh, because apparently in outdoor survival, you die quick. Well, you, you played war games. Everybody dies quick. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you. I, what was the, uh, oh, the uh, Starship Troopers, the book, where they're like, okay, all these characters are really important. Let's hit the ground. And they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> Glad I got to spend that whole chapter learning them. Thanks. <laughs> Maybe George R.R. R. Martin read a lot of Heinlein, now that I think about it. <laughs> my, my, my going theory was he had a cruel DM as a child. but Kind of like, like the first episodes of Penny Dreadful. You get to know Frankenstein's monster, and he's like, he's kind of cool, and then he's dead. <laughs> yeah, we've just been watching that. And people have asked me, well, what's Penny Dreadful like? And I said, well, it's kind of like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, only not as fun and lighthearted as Alan Moore. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's not. It's definitely not a friendly show. My my wife prefers to watch things that are more optimistic, so I've been watching it by myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Liz, did you want to talk about Albers? Oh, well, kind of. Um, I found a, a blog People, several people listening probably are already aware of this blog because it's been around for a while, but it's called Raging Owlbear. The guy who runs it, um, Marty Walzer. Um, anyway, it's, um, it's very OSR-oriented, and um, I found out about it because I was going through, and apparently he recently did a review of the new Dragon Plus um, online magazine app that <coughs> Wizards of the Coast has um, put out. Um, so, you know, I was reading the review on that, and um, he's got a he's got a pretty good OSR background. However, he does like Five E quite a bit. If you're not into Five E at all, you know, there you may not find a lot that you like about the blog. But he has a lot of non Five E stuff too. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the posts that I was reading once I found out about the blog, um, Chris, you may or may not be aware of it, but he's, one of the posts he did back in 2004 was about 5e backward compatibility. And he was um, comparing versions of the fighter class, um, and he went through, say, the various editions of AD&D along with um, Basic Fantasy. And he was saying that, in, as far as he could tell, the basic fantasy fighter seemed to be closest to the current 5e fighter archetype than any of the other versions of the fighter. Um, pretty, pretty sure I've, I've read that one. Yeah, so um, I thought it, that was kind of neat. Every so often I Google for a basic fantasy RPG with a time limit, recent items, mm-hmm. just to see if anything new has been said. Mm-hmm. Mostly, I'm happy with what I see. So yeah, 
Anyway, I was looking at the chart, and it does seem to bear out. You know, when Mike and I said that we played 5e with our, you know, usual 2e DM, you know, we had said that the the first level fighter seemed to start out a lot more powerful than the equivalent first or second edition fighter would be. And according to his chart, it seems to bear that out. It starts out more powerful, but the progression going upward um, does not go up as much as, so say... front-loaded, basically. To an extent, yes. Okay. And he also, you know, says that if you're trying to use, say, first edition <clears throat> monsters with your fifth edition stuff... You know, as we also noticed ourselves, the first edition versions of the monsters start out as less powerful than the 5e equivalents. But again, they seem to be more powerful as they go up. So, or okay. they, don't do, they don't do more damage, but they hit more often, I think he said. Um, anyway, it was a really interesting article. Um, and I liked what he had to say about the Dragon Magazine um, the Dragon Plus app, which, um, you know, his opinion was it seemed to be a lot of, you know, house organ for wizards. Mm. Um, but a lot of people used to say <laughs> There's that. There's a shocker. About, yeah, a lot of people used to say that about the original Dragon magazine. That's really all it was. So, you know. I'm, but, um, I'm constrained to point out that it didn't become that till post-Tim Cask editorial watch. <laughs> Still, that was what, 80, 81? Oh, no, in the 30s. all right now that we know what we've all been up to liz yes do we have any emails get down get down get down get down the The save or die die. email hot Hot tub tub time machine come here you scrumptious little beauty here i go once again with the email every week i hope that it's from a female Oh, man. The following emails have been edited for length and content. Uh, We have a few emails, just a few. Anyway, our first email, DM Kojo. Kojo! Uh, DM Kojo writes, Casters of the Sod. Thanks for another great episode with number 105. I enjoyed the review of Emirates of Ilarum. I never had the Gazetteers when I was younger and have only picked up a few more recently, including this one. I can echo DM Jim's feelings in a lot of ways. I feel there is a lot of material that is fluff and not as much to make the game more interesting for my players. Uh, 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 However... Uh, 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 uh. Sorry, that's fun. <laughs> I was right. Somebody's not yelling at me, Dance. Uh, uh, uh. However, I think as a younger player, I would have found that kind of info more valuable since I wasn't as adept at creating my own campaign world back then. For a campaign setting to be useful to my current gaming needs, I definitely would want new monsters, spells, and optional (coughs) tools so that the new campaign setting sparks new and interesting adventures, and not just more of the same but with a different lens. I concur with Jim that Goodman Games' The Chained Coffin by Michael Curtis exemplifies what I need a campaign setting to be for my game. There is... <laughs> blatant plug, blatant plug. There is, ju- there is just enough history and fluff to give you a feel. 
some cool new magic mechanics unique to that setting, and some great adventure hooks for the setting. Unfortunately, although this, or ultimately, although this product doesn't work well for my game, I think the author, Ken Ralston, did an excellent job writing it. I am sure he was hemmed in by the specific format requirements and was writing for the formula he was presented. See you at the Hypercube, Kojo. Well, thank you, Kojo, Kojo. for that cogent and insightful email. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Technically, at the end, he did say he can't use it. So (laughs) (laughs) it's probably because Chain Coffin doesn't have a rumor table. (laughs) See, there you go. Actually, I thought it was funny. So he's going back to buy all the gazetteers. Has he not heard the shows where you review them? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've only done two so far. (laughs) I wasn't even in this episode, so. (laughs) I'm told the next one is full of magic users. I'm bound to like that. So I better hate it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next email. Okay. Our next email is from David Powers. And David writes, Greetings, wise and powerful sages of the die of many sides. Greetings. (laughs) Greetings. <laughs> Just discovered your podcast, and it is really fun. However, listening to your episode on alignments, I was reminded of why I hate the good-evil alignment spectrum, and really only find the three-alignment, chaotic-lawful system to be meaningful, and meaningful only because law and chaos most assuredly do not map onto the moral terms of good and evil. Being an inherently chaotic personality type myself, I basically view the LNC alignment spectrum as creative, nobody knows what they are thinking, and lame. <laughs> LNC sounds like a rap group, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> Blame it on my fundamentalist Christian upbringing, where the law in my house forbid me from playing Dungeons and Dragons because it would lead to, you know, drugs and demon possession. Only if you're doing it right. <laughs> Other people might picture Lawful Good as a paladin. I picture it as my dad taking away all my good music CDs because rock music is definitely chaotic evil. Probably jazz, too. Anyway, my dislike of the good-evil spectrum is pretty easily explained. Almost all people assume they are good, no matter how evil they appear to everybody else. For example, on your podcast, you mention Nazis as an example of lawful evil. This example proves my point perfectly. A Nazi DM would say that Nazis are lawful good, whereas to them, good actions, such as helping someone weaker than yourself, might be considered evil, against nature, weakens the social body. That's kind of Nietzschean, I think, isn't it? Mm. Anyway, for this reason, the spell Detect Evil causes me enormous philosophical quandaries. The basic Moldvay rulebook almost seems to have set an existential trap for me when it states, The exact definition of evil is left to each referee, and players should discuss this point so that all are in agreement. Existential traps? I sense a glimmer of an idea somewhere in there. I guess as a DM, I would probably interpret this mechanic as having nothing to do with evil in the moral sense. And everything to do with intends to harm the person using the spell. So if the lawful good Spanish Inquisition is in the next room ready to torture you to death in the name of good, the spell, chair. the spell would detect them. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. David Powers, Detroit. Wow. Landry says he is definitely not of the body. <laughs> he doesn't reach. 
All right. Anyone want to grab this one? Hmm. Actually, I just had a debate. Well, not really a debate. It was more of a one-sided debate where he told me the answer, and I went, oh, good point. But uh, Gary Gygax put it into Mastering the Game, where he said that it was uh, alignments were more there just to help out people, to, to kind of give them a, a, a road. Like, hmm. follow this path. This is the way you go. <laughs> if you don't need it, you don't need it. Okay, the way you started that sentence, it sounded like you were saying, I was just talking to Gary Gygax. <laughs> I was telling wow. him. It was you awesome. Can- Talk to Gary if you get answers. <laughs> we, we said it. I, Leave that necromancy alone. I drank a case of Dr. Pepper and spun around really fast. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw him. Mm-hmm. I, I basically agree with David Powers uh, with the caveat that I take a more pragmatist approach to all of this, which is to realize it doesn't really matter what alignment's on the character sheet. 90% of all players are themselves chaotic neutral and are going to play their character that way. At every yeah. turn. <laughs> you obviously a have pragmatist? a different group than I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm not I'm talking just... about anybody here or their groups. Of course not. While I'm normally a big proponent of law, neutral, chaos, playing devil's advocate for a minute, um, classic D&D, you know, most the, – the default world isn't – this isn't just a morality play. It's – you know, law and chaos are cosmic forces that directly influence the world with spells, magic, items, or creatures. So, I, I think you can't entirely just say, well, it's everybody's perception and forget it. Well, I mean, of course you could in your game, but I, I think there's a little more to it than what we would consider moral absolutes in the real world. Okay, how about this? Let me invoke Appendix N literature. Oh, no. Some of this discussion is sparked by Tolkien poisoning of the game, which happened what do you mean? in, the, mi- in, the, in the mid-80s and the lower the 80s. I mean, at all. It just depends on what kind... I mean, it's a playstyle thing to a certain extent, because it depends on what kind of campaign you and your players enjoy. I mean... If you want to do the Lord of the Rings sort of, you know, mission and a bunch of, you know, boring walking and not calling in the flying eagles to end the quest soon, you can do that. But, I mean, a lot of appendix in literature, Fafra and the Grey Mouser, Conan, Elric, those guys were not lawful goody-two-shoes at all. Even so, like like Star Trek, where you walk in and like, your god's a lie! (laughs) Who's wrong there? Right, right. Not that Star Trek is actually fantasy, but it's cool. (laughs) Star Trek's real, isn't it? Well, as I've said many times whenever we have talked about alignment before, (laughs) my main problem with the basic expert versions of basic where they talk about law, lawful and chaotic, you know, they don't – it's always lawful equals you're good. And if you're chaotic, you're evil. And – I don't see law and chaos that way. I think you can be a chaotic type person, but trying to do something for the good. And in, in if for- I was using the lawful, the chaotic system, I wouldn't be using it the same way as it, you know, plays out in the rule books. Aren't, so aren't why goblin- don't they just call it, you know, good and evil? <laughs> I just want to point out that in basic D and D with the three point alignment system, aren't goblins usually lawful? Hmm. No, I think they're chaotic. Yeah, everything that is that is essentially bad. evil or bad is lumped under chaotic. Oh, sorry, I'm back in DCC then. Yeah. 
Chris? You're thinking, I was to say, you're, uh, you got to understand that the earliest, I've been digging into this recently, the earliest versions of law and chaos and neutrality were nothing more than sides on a, on a war game mat. You, you had you, lawful and, and chaotic said who you could hire. If you were running the bad guy's side, you could hire chaotic figures, or you could uh, you could take on neutrals with some risk, but you couldn't bring any lawfuls in. And same thing applies in the other direction. If you were on the, you know, that's the whole thing. It was nothing more than sides, and it got it grew into something else. Gary grew it into something else when he added the good ev- good versus evil axis in, in in the advanced game. Well, like you were saying earlier, Jim. Um with Moorcock and Elric, there's law and chaos there, but I don't think you can call the forces of law in that world good. It's more of a structure versus non-structure. Yeah, as far as the argument goes, I don't, I don't really care what you, your, your group and your players play, which alignment system. I mean, because all of us play games that don't have alignment. D&D is the only system I know of that where this is any big deal, right? Yeah, and in the end, I think it... It really goes down to what Corbett was talking about. It's just a it's a handy label to know, you know, these are nice people, these are not so nice people. These I mean, really don't care. I don't need an alignment system to tell Meads Paladin, no, the hobbit you're torturing has no idea why your paladin powers have disappeared. For <laughs> <laughs> well it's also a guide for people who don't know how to play to to understand, oh, I'm supposed to be random or I'm supposed to always follow the law or Yeah. I mean, granted, that's an opinion. I don't back up my stuff with facts but, like Chris. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> you, you, you tell me who doesn't know how they want to play their character. How many people need a crutch to figure out that play, playing a paladin means you're supposed to be the goody two-shoes? A lot. Well, my kids. <laughs> okay, so well, whether they should or how they try to actually play it, I, I suppose they're two different things. Well, my, my kids play really – I mean, they play like kids – but like uh, my my eight year old, he he had a barbarian. He was running around there playing cast, castles and crusades, which has a, an alignment system. Sorry, mm-hmm. but um, he was running around hitting everything and like, yeah, I killed it in one hit. Killed it in one hit. Killed it in one hit. I am so strong. <laughs> and then he gets mind controlled and he turns to the party and goes, uh oh. <laughs> so he realized that he wasn't as chaotic as he, he wanted to be good, but he couldn't, he couldn't control himself, so he knew he was bad. And he asked me the question, am I a bad guy now? And I had to tell him, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Let's so, hear it for eight-year-old moral ambiguity. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard to explain the, the purpose of the, the alignment. And he's like, but I'm, I'm good. It says I'm good. Why would I attack them? Magic. Magic. <laughs> Next. <laughs> we All could do, right. We could do a whole show on this again. Yeah, very true, very true. Liz, is there any more emails? Uh, there is. Um, our next one is from Carl H. Hey, and Carl. He, he writes, hello, Sodcasters. I wanted to add two cents to the conversation about saving throws from episode 90. Before I start, I want to emphasize that there is no wrong way to play, and you are all beautiful snowflakes. Uh-oh. <laughs> Ruh-roh. That being said, DM Mike is right. <laughs> See, now you get to do the dance. (laughs) Saving throw tables are better than bonus-based saving throws. The reason I don't like bonus systems is because the bonus and the difficulty class both go up. Nothing ever really changes about the roll. A plus 5 bonus versus a 15 DC is the same as a plus 10 bonus versus a 20 DC. 
This is an effort to keep things challenging, but it seems really artificial to me. That being said, my preference would be a classic-style save table with more modern save descriptions. To get that result from classic, you would convert as follows. Death Ray slash Poison equals Fortitude. Magic Wand equals Reflex. Rod Staff Spell equals Will. Ignore Paralysis and Breath Weapon saves, replacing them with the most appropriate of the three above when called for. Only there was a game that already did that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for your time. I really enjoy the podcast. Carl. Thanks, Carl. Everybody's taking my top fives. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't even gotten there yet. (laughs) Pre-five. Well, no, no, my, my, my whole thing about alignments. I was going to talk about alignments because it's you know, basic fantasy. And then we're going to saving throws. And I use both saving throws even though basic fantasy only uses the original style. Well, isn't it good that you, like, chose 18 then? <laughs> That's true. Hey, <laughs> yeah, Corey, you guys just you're, whittle you're them making, away. You're making me look really lazy here. But yes, like, <laughs> I chose 25 possible things to talk about. It's like... I don't I've, know what you guys pick. I kept choosing things. <laughs> <laughs> all the things. I picked all the things. <laughs> Everything. <clears throat> I just chose things, and if someone else picks them, too bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't be like Liz and just pick the things that my cat rolls on top of. <laughs> <laughs> sure you can. Get a cat. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> or depending on which cat, poops on top of. My magic eight ball cat. Shake it and throw it on the book. <laughs> Whatever she throws up on is what you talk about. I am a cat caster. <laughs> ah. Sorry. Is that all the emails? That is all the emails. Okay, well. Still have plenty to go through, but that's all I picked for today. Did you want to comment about saving throws, Chris? Did I want to comment about saving throws? I did it the old-fashioned way. What else can I say? <laughs> he did. Okay. I mean, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. All right. Well, if anyone wants to write in the show, where do they write in? Liz. Uh, Save or Die Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> I spent two years training my dyslexia so I could answer that question, and you go to Liz. Well, you were just complaining earlier. I always call on you. He's trying to catch me out. Just write us at saverdiegmail.com. So well, I will, it. well, I will tell you right now, do not ask me what the phone number is for voicemails because I don't know it. <laughs> that would be 940-536-3763. Three sod. Which occurred to me that since we have three hosts now, three sod, that, that really works, doesn't it? I don't know, man. I'm thinking maybe we should hire Corbett. He's got a wonderful singing voice. <laughs> yeah, he's going like- to... He'll Schoolhouse like Rock our show. Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> the Sodtastic Three. You could have your own movie. It'd be great. <coughs> nah. No, the first two would be crappy, and then another studio would get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably it right there. And then if we'd have put, to work Stan Lee in. You know, if you put me in a movie directed by Josh Trank, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we will head into some important messages and when we come back it will be top five uh, Thopus the Gnome here the Save or Die podcast is brought to you in part by a more than generous grant from me <coughs> don't you mean a generous grant by lesser gnome games same thing I pretty much run the joint and this one too now come to think of it here 
Go finish the commercial for me, Nave. You got it. Lesser Gnome Games and Miniatures. Available at RPGnow.com, LesserGnome.com, or at a friendly local game store near you. This is where we talk about the five things that stood out to us with Basic Fantasy RPG. Yeah, I know Chris is in an awkward situation, but I'm sure there's five things that stood out to him that he was really happy about or looking back on kind of decided, well, you maybe know, done a bit different. You know, I got to tell you something. Normally, when you get roasted, the roasted person gets to speak last. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Except we, well, we. <laughs> You'll kind of get that, but we go round robin on each point, so okay. you'll you'll get the the last at least for the numbers anyway. Oh, I did have a question. Should I go most important first or least important first? Least we don't really do it by order. It's just the five things that stood out to you. So it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I'll um, narrow that down. I was going to say. If there's something that you really, really want to talk about and you want to make sure that you get it in before someone possibly <laughs> takes it away from you, then you might put your most important one out first because like, I want to make sure I get to say something about this. So, okay. Mike, Mike, Mike came up with a top five format to try and rein in the rambling <laughs> to, to, yeah. to, to, to mediocre effect. How's that, that going? That worked out pretty well then, huh? <laughs> yeah. Some for some, others for others. <laughs> that and so people would actually read but anyway well we'll start with number five then with jim oh well speaking of marvin the mage he and i agree on one thing if magic missile doesn't automatically hit you're playing the wrong edition and in basic fantasy rpg magic missiles automatically hit so that's my number five always go with the pyrotechnics don't you (laughs) i am what i am well, what do you, what's the point? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, if you would like me to expand on that, the, the spells as written in basic uh, fantasy will not cause anybody any heartburn. I mean, they're they're close enough to Holmes and Mulvey Cook, and less so, but still mostly to uh, Beck me. So, mm-hmm. well done. Okay. I agree. And there goes my number 12, see? <laughs> <laughs> out, of, out of five. All right, well, my number five ended up being... Uh, I found the tweaks to character generation interesting. Most notably, the uh, there really aren't races as classes, but you you do have, um, I think, some iconic stuff there anyway. Though I did find it interesting um, that both elves and halflings seem to have D6 hit die. I was going to ask uh, Chris a bit about that. Okay. What do you want to know? Uh, why did you go with race hit die as opposed to class hit die for them? Race hit, races don't have hit dice. Races cap hit dice. The ah, elves okay. are not allowed to have better than a d6. If you play a straight elf magic user, you roll d4s just D4s. like the humans. But if you okay. play an elf straight, a straight elf fighter, you're still just rolling d6s. D6s. Ah. Um, because you're not allowed to use the larger hit die. Okay. Um, so it caps the maximum that you can get. Okay. But also, it, it, also was, uh, it was an attempt to achieve some game balance, and it also allows the um, elven 
fighter magic user to more closely mirror the BX version. Mm-hmm. Well, he got rid of my problem with it, which or the original problem is that elves are way too good for some reason. <laughs> Instead, you just made it to where everybody's just la- equally lame. No, no, they're they're all but they're not. There's caps instead of keep adding stuff. Okay, well the cap makes makes more sense, and I like how humans get the XP bonus, so mm-hmm. that there's some tangible benefit to playing humans. So there's yeah, this- argument. There's actually been some arguments about the uh, the amount that the bonuses should be, and I can tell you honestly, uh, it doesn't kill the game a bit to give uh, to give humans double. Twenty percent. Uh, Twenty percent, or just overall no. I mean, total? literally double their experience points. It doesn't kill the game at all okay. because um, the progressions are um, in uh, in powers up until ninth level. Uh, it doesn't make a huge difference in progression between the you know I- I- between the between the classes. Uh, it's much the same as when you have a hireling or sorry, a henchman or retainer in in any game where you're giving them half experience points. You'll notice that they still float behind the main characters by about a level all the time. Mm-hmm. Because of the multiplication, people don't think about those numbers, but they're they really are important. Okay, um, but yeah, there was a lot of thinking that went into deciding how to do that. I think about it when I've got a twelfth level magic user who levels to thirteen and gets one hit point out of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Liz. Okay, um, I guess for my number five, um, I wanted to say that I really enjoyed the snippets of the novelization, I guess, of the adventure um, at the beginnings of the chapters as you go through the book. Um, Not only do those bits, you know, directly talk about what the chapter itself is about, but they flow from one to the other. It's not, it doesn't look like you just tried to fit in a story segment that doesn't seem to go with what happened in the last one, the chapter before. Um, so everything was, you know, put together in a very streamlined, you know, way that makes sense. And the story makes sense and helps you to say, oh, that's what the rule means. And, you know, that's how it would play out if you were reading it in a fantasy novel. Well, I'm, first of all, I want to thank you for the kind words about my writing. <laughs> I, call that, I call that the intro story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the introduction story, and the whole story is actually on the website as a as a coherent piece you can access from there if someone wanted to read it from start to finish. I don't really know what possessed me to do that. Um, I had created uh, characters pre generated characters for the well, I say created. I'm lying about that, but I'll tell you in a minute what I mean by lying. Uh, pre generated characters for um, Morgan's Fort for the first module that uh, we that we released. The first four, the the primary four of those characters are the ones that are actually in the intro story. They're also depicted in the rules. Um, there's a picture of every one of those characters in the main, in the rule book. Um, the funny thing about that is, as I said, I lied about creating them because I, I am lying. I didn't create them. All but one of the pre-generated characters in, in uh, BF1 Morgan's Fort are actually characters played by players in my games. I was going to ask that. That was, that was something that, that occurred now, to me as I was reading. You know, are these characters played by some of his players? Now, let me, let me, let me digress just a little bit. The one character who isn't is Barthel the Halfling Thief. Um, we just had no thieves to speak of in my early games, which is hard to explain, but there just weren't, weren't a lot of players wanting to play thieves, and I didn't have any good candidates for that. So I had to make one up. So he's my own, the only one I actually put in. But I'll put something else down to you. If you flip through the rule book to the picture of Morningstar, uh, and if I can remember where she was, I would tell you. 
the um, drawing done, and she's in the rules, but I'm not sure what page she's on. The drawing done of her. Oh, yeah, she's on page one. Duh. Huh, okay. <laughs> the drawing, yeah. the drawing, the drawing done for all four of those, all four of the iconic character drawings um, that I had done were done by Carjack, um, Steve Zeiser, uh, who's a really good artist, uh, very old school. And uh, so shout out to him if he's listening. Um, but when he did this, I, all I gave him was the names of the characters and their, and their racing class. The character resembles the player. Oh. He's never met her. But nonetheless, I showed that picture to my wife, and I said, does that remind you of anyone you know? And she named her. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I don't know how that happened. But that all artists are psychic. I, you know, I've worked with a lot of artists, and they have a lot of interesting features. I don't know if psychic is actually one of them. But, now, do you uh, mean psychotic? Or psych- <laughs> I've okay. been well, fortunate enough not to work with Liz anybody. did just get a degree in it. Did you take a class in psychoticness or psychicness? Huh? Um, well, we're, we're supposed to be working on those abilities on our own. Uh, we, we don't have a specific class for either one. Sworn to secrecy. I get it. Yeah, this, is, well. this, is, this is weird. Usually the artist outnumber Mike, but... Suddenly, the <laughs> balance of power has changed. Now, I will say, in my own personal opinion, if you delve into typography a little too much, you can find those psychotic tendencies, you know, just <laughs> welling up within you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, Corbett, what's your five? Oh, I didn't prepare much, but uh, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You've barely got anything, Corbett. Actually, the one thing I put I, my number one, but I'm going to start with it because I know I want to talk about it first because it's both awesome and probably awful. Um, on the back of the book, I don't know if you guys bought the book, but the book is cheap, by the way. You should look it up online. Hear this? That's my copy. <laughs> okay, awesome. On the back of the book, he actually puts, and I, I totally applaud you and can tell you it's probably a terrible business idea, but on the back of the book, he puts, don't buy this book. In big bold letters, <laughs> and it's I love psychology. That. It's it's great honesty though. It's like you don't have to. It's it's yeah, it's cheap. Great to have the book, but you can just go get it, print it out, and it's yours. And so that's like, awesome. A progressive step past uh, Abby Hoffman. Not steal this book. Just don't buy it in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really really cool. I mean, it's probably terrible business practice, but. Uh, 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 no, that. reverse psychology like that works great, actually. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it I'm going to buy two now. It sells. The game sells. People buy it. I'm constantly amazed that people buy something I give away for free. Well, I fell uh, for it. But they do. <laughs> hey, that's fine. But you know what? It's nice to have a physical book. It and is. And what you print out is just not – just doesn't feel the same, especially as a hardback. Well, and when I run a game with the uh, kids at the library and stuff, you know, I can then say, hey, you know, where can I get this book? It's like, you know what? You can have this one, and I'll just go buy another one because it isn't <laughs> that big a deal for me. And they're just like, oh, my gosh. Five bucks. <laughs> it's amazing. And that's fantastic. You know, I, uh, I don't talk about it much, but I lost my original books in a fire that, you know, my dad set and then put the books in. You know, it's the only way oh, to get man. Satan out. <laughs> so it was a big deal. When anytime I bought a book, it was like, oh my gosh, this was $8 for a player's handbook. I'm going to (laughs) die. So, you know, now where there's like $40 game books and kids are like, what game should I buy? It's like the cheapest one you can find. (laughs) (laughs) That's me. That's the one. But yeah, don't buy this book endorsement right there. Do you either have a number five or do you want to comment more on? Do I have a number five? Here's the deal. 
I wrote the game. Obviously, I think it's perfect. I mean, <laughs> um, okay. No, it's not perfect. Not perfect. <laughs> but it is perfect in the sense that it's the game I set out to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does exactly what I expected it to do. It works exactly like I expected it. It has the same failings that I expected it to have which I can't fix without changing the flavor. And I'm not and they're not even at this point something I even consider if I want to if I want to play a different style of game, I actually play a different game. So it's not okay. a problem. Um but so I, I thought we'll have, just have your part of it uh, as uh I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> you said the game is perfect and I agree. I love the game. It's fantastic. It does all the things I want it to do. And that you would never ever ever write another game. Say like called <laughs> Iron Falcon or something. No, I mean, no, you never they, do that, right? <laughs> I never said I would never write another game. In fact, Iron Falcon is, although it's in print, I have other games. Um, I distribute for free from various uh, places. I have um, three different websites where I'm distributing games from right now. Um, but Iron Falcon is is in print, which puts it above all the others except Basic Fantasy, obviously. Um, <laughs> Iron Falcon's response to response to the the discovery that my game is no longer a retro clone. When Basic Fantasy was written, it was a retro clone. No one questioned that. Mm. But um, now, to be a retro clone, it has to actually be a clone. It has to actually mechanically get as close as possible to a specific Elder Game version, which, of course, we can't name thanks to OGL rules. Um, the world's we, most popular role playing game. Doesn't that get annoying? Don't you yeah. just get sick of that? But you well, can't do anything. Oh, we can't say it. <laughs> can't do anything now. This whole show is a basic D and D show. You can say it. <laughs> no, nope, here's something I can tell you. Um, if you read your OGL carefully, it says that you can't use the names of any other games or any other products. In fact, without an independent agreement. So years ago, I contacted Dan Proctor, Stuart Marshall, and Matt Finch, and I proposed an independent agreement with them. I can call their name, their games by name while discussing mine, and they can do the same. So I can tell you where my game differs from Labyrinth Lord, at least in a, insofar as I know the game. I can tell you where it differs from Osric. I can tell you where it differs from Swords and Wizardry. I just can't discuss any other games. Well, and right now, if you want to talk about Iron Falcon, I could discuss it, it, it with respect to Delving Deeper because I have an agreement with the authors of that game. Mm. Um, it seemed like the most sensible thing to do at the time. They're very reasonable people. In fact... If you'll open up your uh, copies of Basic Fantasy, I'm sure you all have one, and look at the credits, you'll see Stuart Marshall and Matt Finch are in there. Matt contributed artwork. Stuart contributed material. Okay. So the Osric writer and the Swords and Wizardry writer are, are in my book in the credits. And curiously enough, if you open Iron Falcon, you'll see both of the authors of Delving Deeper are in that list. And Iron Falcon's free too, so I'm okay. Iron Falcon is free too. I am making a profit, a small amount of profit. The book is actually like eight dollars and twenty-five cents, something like that, um, for the print books for Iron Falcon. I the their credits I was mentioning in there are actually um, not contributor credits, but just um, people that who converse with me over the game. Um, I didn't accept any outside contributions for, for Iron Falcon, where I accepted nothing. But Basic Fantasy is collaborative. Um, Iron Falcon was something different. I didn't set out to create it to do what Basic Fantasy does. I didn't set out to make it the game I wanted to play forever. I set out to make it a representation of the earliest earliest version of the most popular role-playing game in the world that um, is recognizable. And I can't really discuss too much more about that um, other see, than just to say that I had a particular plan in mind. See, I didn't write it, so I can say just like D&D. If you want to, that's fine. <laughs> 
in our opinion, yeah. it is just like. <laughs> I can tell you where it differs from Delving Deeper. Delving Deeper is a representation of the earliest version of the game in print. But um, Iron Falcon represents the game with its first supplement. Because that's the game that you and I and everyone recognizes as being that particular game. It's the one that has all those magic items and all those spells and, uh, and so forth. Hey, you know how else Basic Fantasy differs from Delving Deeper? <laughs> hmm. when, when I paid for my copy of Basic Fantasy, it showed up in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, now. Well, now, I'll digress here because I like to digress. I think people, and if you guys are in this category, I apologize for saying this, but I think people who do Kickstarters and then try to ship the books themselves are nuts out of their fool minds. I never have done that. I never want to. Um, I've got Amazon shipping my books. Why in the world would I want to do it? I've got uh, Lulu shipping my hardbacks. Why in the world would I want to do it? Um, I think it's. I think you're foolish if you do that. Now, if you want to create a boxed set and put dice in there and make an, a nice looking package, you pretty much got to do it yourself. There's nobody that'll do it for you. But if you're just trying to sell books or just even get books in people's hands, I mean, I'm not even trying to make money off Basic Fantasy. Um, I think letting someone who's competent to do it do it is the smartest thing to do. Or be prepared for the amount of work it is. Zach Glazer doesn't have any problem doing it. You know what? I still think it's nuts. Even if you're prepared for the amount of work, why? Well, he why does in do the world? The, he does do the nice box sets, though. Well, you know, like I said, the nice box set is kind of cool. But, I, you know, I still have a hard time making that make sense to me. And, okay. of course, for basic fantasy where I'm not making anything off of it, why would I want to put the work into it? Okay, we are getting way off topic here. <laughs> hey, I'm good at that. Go back to four. <laughs> Jim, four. Uh, my number four, and this is what aggravates me about having the author on a show where we review the product, because I'm going to sound like uh, a kiss-ass, but I really, really love the way this was written in toto, but specifically the the way it was written to be all-ages game, even maybe aimed a little bit at, you know, being playable with kids in mind. I, now that I we've discussed it a little bit, you probably play tested with kids, so that all makes sense. But I mean, there's the this. If I was going to buy a retro clone for like under twelve to introduce people to the game, this is the one I would go to because of the way it's written. Huh? And an adult can enjoy it too. That's the catch. I was attempting to emulate Moldvay's writing style. I actually didn't set out to write a, a game for kids, although I always intended my daughter to play it, and she did a couple of times. It's not her thing, but. Um, as much of I a really fan of, it for that. as much of a fan of OD and D as I am, I really think Moldvay was the best written uh, descriptive game, especially for new people. I agree. So I agree. There, there's, there's no question in my mind. And and Frank Mentzer is a wonderful man and apparently a great game master, but his writing just wasn't, in my opinion, as good as Tom's. But he had the Elmore art, so you know. Oh God, I hate Elmore. I'm really? sorry. If you're an Elmore fan, I'm sorry. Elmore only knows how to paint one woman. Well, yeah. Thank but, you. But she's, she's really nice. the, same, the same woman with the same face and the same figure. He scales yes. her up down, makes her yes. skinny fat. It's the same woman in every picture. But At she's least hot. <laughs> I've been saying that you know like you know for what? years. It's the exact same face. You just put different hair and stuff on her. Let me, you tell, you, let me tell you something here. That's not hot. That was hot the first time I saw it. She's pretty. Mind you, I was a teenager at the time, but that was hot the first time I saw yeah, it. Yeah, that's But after awesome. a while, with every woman looking the same, it's just creepy. <laughs> I have to see these guys at conventions, so no comment. But then I'm an anime <laughs> fan, so, you know. I was an anime fan back in the day, so I want to talk about women looking the same, but 
Well, to be crystal clear, I wasn't saying this is a kitty game. I, I just meant it's kid friendly. It's all ages, which I okay. I appreciate in a game. Actually, I've it's gotten clear that writing that is the point is easily understood. Yeah. Far, far fewer severed heads than in DCC book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I've gotten that a lot off Gagman stuff where they 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 started people have started writing in and talking about how they run it for their kids or this is a great way to get their kids into their game because I do a lot of ah, weird shows, but. Um, Using basic fantasy, and basic fantasy makes it great for people just to jump in and, and grab it without being uh, too, too outside of it. You know, feeling like I've got to buy, and this goes back to pricing, you know, I've got to go buy $100 in game books and then study for weeks to get ready for this one game night. Which is always the great way to get new people into rolling. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you buy I everything I have on Amazon, you'll still have, to spend, you'll still have to buy something else in order to get free shipping. <laughs> I get free shipping. I, I Unless prime. you're on Prime. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. on Prime, yeah. So, but you, no, you, I, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> well, you know, those drones I, cost money. Well, I <laughs> bought, I, this is the cool thing. I bought the entire, entire collection in one go several times. But <laughs> it's, I think it's like less than $30 for sure. It was like 22 okay. or so. It's going it's to bump up a little bit if I ever get uh, JN3 Saga of the Giants in print because that – that adventure module, multi-module series, is as big as the core rule book. That's be another four and a half, five dollar book. To get us back on track, that, can sure. you jump to my number four? Or is that okay? Or are we in, are we in order? I don't know where we're in, in order. Okay, <laughs> fine. My four was that I liked the sprinkled through. This kind of gets off on the Mulvey writing style. I, I liked the various uh, fidelity to classic D and D. The first thing that struck out. Struck uh, struck me was the clerics don't get a spell till second level, which is different than Labyrinth Lord, for instance. Yeah, and I I don't know how I feel about it, yay or nay, but I noticed you could you were at least somewhat faithful when it came to the treasure types. As close as I could be. Yeah, well, and because that, that's the thing, as much as I like out of print D and D. The treasure types always struck me as having absolutely no format to it at all. It was very inconsistent. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Because, like, oh, this is treasure type V. Well, I guess that as opposed to treasure type B. Well, if you spend enough time writing modules, they begin to make sense. That's scary. That is true. <laughs> they do. Are these treasure- little symbols on clothing, you know, the washing symbols where you have the triangles and the <laughs> yeah. X's and stuff. Is like when those things start to actually make sense to you, then you know. <laughs> yeah. All right, Liz, what's your for? Okay. Um, well, this is um, just kind of neither here nor there, but. You know, I was going through the the wandering monster tables. You know, for whether you're in a you know, in the wilderness, in the dungeon, etc. And then I got to the tables for the city, and I know I could. It just sort of jumped out at me on the city encounter tables. You've got the doppelganger showing up as part of your. You know, it's you know two d six. So there's a one in ten chance that you're going to run into a doppelganger either day or night. Like that's an awful lot of doppelgangers running around in cities. Yeah, but I <laughs> there's think a that problem was... here. Well, actually, I think that was, I don't know if it was AD&D or a classic D&D, but I think that that's pretty faithful. Still, mm, that's, I just, that's, that's two out of two D6, so that's one chance in 36. 
still, that that's a lot of doppelgangers. And, and right. I, it just there's, never it never occurred to me before. It's like wow. equally many were rats. I can understand were rats. You know, they're doppelganger pretending to be a were rat. <laughs> so basically, in the town, that somebody goes, "Hey, is there anybody here who's not a monster?" <laughs> One guy, me. <laughs> Get him! <laughs> no, no. The town is full of people who are of no importance, other than you know they are cannon fodder or they get in the way when you're trying to run. And then here and there, sprinkled throughout them are monsters. Pretty straightforward, actually. Yeah, yeah. makes sense to me. But it's funny to talk poke at Liz, so it's okay. <laughs> I, me, me. I like a judges' hill, judges' guild kind of town where the cat might be a demigod. So I'm cool with it. <laughs> I'm cool with it too. But are they all? Do they all have to be doppelgangers? Yeah, how many doppelgangers are there? Is it one in every thirty-six people you run into in a city is possibly in, a doppelganger. One in every thirty-six people who threatens you. In a ah, well. <laughs> they're just aggressive. All right, Corbin, the just ignore you. Oh, okay. Uh, is, is it okay if I ask a question outside of the rule book that pertains to the rule system? Oh yeah. Because he was talking if about it's something uh, that stood out to you. Yeah. Well, no. He, well, yes and no. I'm, well, I'm kind of curious uh, what his take on. Uh, f- well, okay. <laughs> Let me see if I can okay. work out my question. Uh, in, is it part of your list? Yes. Okay. okay. In uh, Chris, in your uh, your adventure modules, you put mm-hmm. them out. They're all these. They're really big books. They're. Uh, I mean, for for a module, usually you get like the pamphlet version of here's a story, and that's what I do. But you actually put out sort of a campaign, like a, a setup story campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, which follows a lot of the classic uh, uh, Gygax kind of, you know, his original adventure campaign setups. And I was wondering if you were doing that kind of emulating the original Gary Gygax campaign setups or if, um, well, I guess you couldn't be you copying them because you did yours before them. But 5th edition now does it that way where they put out their whole, instead of one little module, they put out like a whole, here's a campaign. Are you saying 5th edition ripped off Extant Games? I'm yeah, just right. saying, Chris might have a case. But <laughs> well, you just okay. asked him a comparison question to Dungeons and Dragons that he can't say. I can answer the question without comparing anything, <laughs> because the because the answer has nothing to do with anything you just said. It okay. actually comes down. It actually comes down to printing costs. If you produce three small modules, you pay a base price, or rather, the customer pays a base price just to get the book. Plus a per page price. Mm. It makes sense to combine multiple adventures together into a compilation that will be more cost effective for the person who actually wants to buy a print. Um, it, it's just simple mathematics. Uh, as a general practice, I aim for adventure modules that are in the uh, in the forty to sixty page range. But in practice, we come, sometimes come in shorter than that. And with Saga of the Giants, we're coming in a lot longer than that. Um, most of them aren't actually intended to be sequential. Um, Saga of the Giants is an exception. Uh, most of them are actually just adventures that have been combined together for convenience or thematic purposes. Um, but the adventures I wrote together tend to be written for characters about the same levels because that's the levels my players are at, player characters are at. So it is reasonable to run them sometimes together out of the book. Cool. It's okay. good to know you're cheap. <laughs> I'm trying to be good to people. No, uh, no. Yeah, the, rules, and the rules are not full of page borders because page borders waste ink. If you print the rules yourself, rules yourself. why in the world do you want to pay ink to print a page border? Preach it, brother. Yeah. Hey, and I can. Whole, yeah, and the whole thing about you know, what you were talking about with the adventures, you know, that's much the same reason why many game stores don't like to carry 
adventure modules as opposed to rule books or supplements because Lower it's not, profit point. Yeah, it is not as cost effective for them. You know, they want something that is a larger, you know, book that they will get more of their money back on when they sell it. Anything, Chris, or should we go to three? I'm done. <laughs> okay. Jim, your third. Um, I really liked the uh, rules for uh, NPC party creation on page 137. Those were just nice, neat, tight little rules for whipping up NPCs. I mean, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, that was mine, darn it. Oh, well. How dare you? <laughs> DM and judges of a certain experience level, uh, even if you feel like you don't need the rules, there they are. They're so nice and easy. Go ahead. It makes just makes your life easier. Okay. And I'll, I will throw one little bit in there. There's a program uh, on our website. It's actually part of the site that will generate NPC parties according to those rules. Very Pop nice. them up right there on the screen. That's what I'm talking about. It's 2015. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't tell you how many times I've I've had a situation where I needed an NPC party and I just rented the computer, whip one up, and I hit the reload a couple times until I get one I like and print it out. Let's see. Oh, I love about it. The NP- talking about the NPC parties, you know, I I love the thing about talking when when um when you were talking about the demi-human parties as one of the you know sub chapters in there, and. The description of, say, you know, an elf party would consist of all elves. If encountered in the territory of another race, the demi-human party might include a guide hired to lead them to their destination. For example, the elf party mentioned above might hire a human guide to help them while traveling through a human country. And I got this weird image in my head of, like, you know, a bunch of tourists. <laughs> a bunch of elf tourists. And they've got this human guide pointing out things to them while while they're just going around in a group behind him. <laughs> yeah, maybe I run weird games. Um, <laughs> and the Temple of Death is on your left. <laughs> Ooh. You're not supposed to look directly at the temple. <laughs> <laughs> How much is this in real money? <laughs> okay. Well, my number three, and it may be another one of those that I, I misunderstood it when I read it, but um, when... Magic users and clerics are prepping their spells. Do they need eight hours to do so, or is it just three turns? Both. They need to have an adequate amount of sleep. Following that, they need three turns to do their spell preparations. Is there an arbitra- Is there a flat number listed for adequate amount of sleep, or is that left you up? You know, there is, and if I could remember the page it was on, I would tell you where to go. Um, it's actually adjusted by your... Um, it's in the adventure section. Oh, it's wait. adjusted by your constitution. Yeah, wasn't it like six hours or or six or eight hours and then like minus your constitution bonus or something if I like could that? Rem- it's not in the adventure section. I cannot remember where it is. Okay, but no, I remember coming across that table. So, okay, that, that answers me there. Yeah, they have, okay, Healing and Rest, page 51 of the third edition. Normal characters require six hours of sleep out of every 24. Subtract from this number the, the number of hours, the character's constitution bonus. Okay. So, you could go anywhere down to three if you had an 18 constitution or up to nine if you had a three. But okay. God, you don't have any business in a dungeon at that point. I'm glad I was wrong on that, too, because it, the way I'd initially read it, it said, like, just three turns of preparation and spellcasters can do stuff. And I'm like, eh? That can't. No, they need three turns after they've slept. Okay. So, so, so no Great. waiting until 12.01 a.m. and suddenly memorizing <laughs> your spells. No. Uh, players no. will try that. Oh, sure they will. like that. Doesn't uh, 
isn't the mechanics of Barbarians of Lemuria something like that? I don't know. I've never read right it. After, it. Things change after midnight in that game. I can't remember much about it now, but no, that's not a comparison. I just named that one as an example of a different different way of doing different it. Method. I don't want anybody suing me. So. Okay. <laughs> All right, Liz. Um, okay, for my number three, I noticed when I was looking through the monster lists that there is no alignment given on any of the monster stats. And I wanted to ask, you know, why is that? Because are there no alignment are, in the game. There is no alignment in the game. Huh, Basic Fantasy has no alignment system. I had not picked up on that before. I think that is awesome. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an interesting little side, side fact that uh, a great many people have told me that they didn't even notice the absence of an alignment system initially. Yeah, because I get that a lot. Because reading through the books, I had not, I it had not occurred to me that you yeah. don't need it. <laughs> you don't need an alignment system. It it's not required. Um, the email you had earlier about detect evil, um, detect evil and Moldvay doesn't really apply to uh, to uh, alignments. No, I mean to, to the to the three alignment system because it's it's actually has more to do with intent with enchanted creatures and so more forth. of a spidey sense. Yeah, um, it. it you don't need alignment to make the game work. And the most acrimonious and intractable arguments take place over alignment. Between the two, I saw absolutely no reason to include it in my game. Here, uh, here. I really like that. I really like that, especially with the monsters, because it gives you as a DM the ability to basically have any kind of intelligent monster react in any way that you want them to. They could be helpful or not helpful. And exactly. you just don't know. <laughs> yes, I agree. I, I really, li- I really like this part of your game that I didn't notice wasn't there <laughs> when I read it. Seems like it would play also to a lot of the historic judges guild stuff. You I don't know, know you much would... about that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, Jim inferred it earlier, which like you know, city state the invincible overlord, where there's a goblin reservation outside, and you can walk and you know bump into trolls on your way to the baker or something, you know. And Walter when you get rid of alignments, running that, a bar somewhere, right? <laughs> and that makes it a bit more plausible. All right, Lit. Uh, yeah, you already did it. I already did my orbit. All right. Actually, I can follow up with my number three, which uh, which is actually number eight. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's number three now. It's it's number three now. Ish. It's the uh, rules a la carte. I, I was kind of I started off with the idea that it, are the rules too generic? But then if you go online. You can add an alignment system. He's actually got the alignment system. Like, here's a rule if you want to use it. Here's skills if you want to use them. Here's what's that you say, Mike? (laughs) (laughs) Here's you want to be a barbarian. I've got the class. But if you just want to play a game, boom, there you go. And that's that's just sweet. So according to Chris, it's perfect. But if you want to screw it up, here are some extra rules. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you part of, used to different part of, rules, part Sorry. of perfection in this case has to do with not having anything that doesn't belong. When I set out to write the game, I had a specific coverage target in mind. I had a specific set of rules that I wanted to be able to have things that I thought were iconic and necessary. And anytime someone, several people came to me online basically and said, your game would be perfect if it only had X. If several people agreed on the same X, it was probably something that needed to be in the game. Hey, you don't know how many people have told me, well, randomly, that they need this X or that X or some other X, but they're really not part of the game. They're really not important. They may be important to your campaign or someone else's campaign, but they're not important to the game. Four classes, four races, that's all that's needed. 
they allow you to replicate any of the original game game situations that I was aiming for. If you also want half ogres, we got a supplement for that. You want gnome? Sure. You want uh, sorcerer? Sure. Actually, and yeah, Mike, you can make it yourself. The game won't break down too badly if you if you create your own material. Mike, and you would probably appreciate the skill system too. It's uh, it's really similar to like Lemurian kind of pre- or other games. Let's just say other games. But uh, <laughs> I stole the skill system out of another game I wrote. Actually, oh. so you stole it from yourself. What a yeah! Jerk. I can do I can do that <laughs> until you find out, and then you're in trouble. Then well, I it's not like he's in academia yeah. or anything where they. <laughs> Where, where they actually consider that a problem. Like, really? I, plagiarizing yourself is a problem? Okay. He, wrote, he wrote those under the uh, SPL, the self-plagiarizing license. Oh, okay. Okay, I forgot about that. I copied me again. All right. Oh, but he signed something good, giving him permission to copy himself. Every so okay. good author copies himself over and over again. Mm. And bad ones, too. I know. Well, that unfortunately, for- so do the bad ones. They just copy <laughs> mistakes. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a job. And Reddit. I steal jokes from Reddit. <laughs> mm. All right. Uh, any more comments, Chris? No. Or want to go to two? Let's go. All right, Jim, two? I like they're not being racist class because I've only found one game that had racist class that I thought was structured correctly. DCC, I'm not going to mention it. Um, <laughs> but more specifically, the, the, the way these classes are written in Basic Fantasy it's it's just in and out. We were talking off air, I think when it was just me, Mike, and Liz, about how wonderful it was that an entire class, everything you need to know about the class, is in one column of half a page. You know, Unless you're a thief. Well, <laughs> it was, okay, in general. It's just yeah. very boom, 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 boom. And that's a, that's a, that's a, a, a rules writing style that uh, I use personally in the stuff I write mm-hmm. and really appreciated it in this. Did you notice that all the character creations within the first ten pages? It's unless mm-hmm. you're gonna make a magic user, it's like right there. It's just really streamlined and uh, nicely done. Yeah, was like I was saying before we before we got everyone together that you know, okay, the PDF is 170 odd pages, but when you consider you know, take out spells and monsters, it's really not that huge. Well, if you get the download off the website for the Beginner's Essentials and print it out yourself, it's quite short and contains supposedly everything you need to get characters set up. I haven't actually looked at it much myself. Another guy did it. Okay. I always recommend, um, even though I design my own character sheet, the one I use in my game is James Jarvis's sheet, J.D. Jarvis's sheet off the main, off the main downloads page, because it has the page number of each item that you need to look up on it. Nice. And we have the first, we have the first, second, and third edition character sheets out there, so the page numbers agree with each edition. Okay. So you just download the one for whichever print you have. Of course, very few people have the first edition, but uh, and you can look at that. I had people complain about how much trouble it was to look up attack bonuses and so forth because they're further back in the rules, but page numbers are there in the character sheet. So, all right. Any more, Jim? That's it. Okay. Well, my number two was. I noticed that there was very detailed descriptions of combat. And it seemed like there were a lot of things that were in prior <clears throat> other games hmm. that will not be mentioned, where what you do in certain circumstances was vague. And while, while I may or may not necessarily agree with what, what resolution you may have come up with, it's there if you're, you know, especially if you're a new player and not sure what to do, you've got 
a descriptive resolution right there. And I like that. Well, good. Thank you. Uh, it was intentional. That was very intentional on my part. Um, although I will admit that I owe a lot to the people who collaborated with me in uh, in doing that because basically they had to tell me what they misunderstood and before I could go back and fix it. It's one thing about doing collaborative development that you just don't get with tr- traditional writing. If you don't have people who are watching your process in, in the middle, then you don't find out until you've got the thing in print that there's something that's not obvious. Plus, I mean, it seems obvious to me. I wrote it. Plus but. play testing. You, uh, you'd be shocked at how many people write these kinds of things and don't play test them and just throw it out there in print. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't play test much. I really didn't. I, of course, ever since the first edition came out, that's practically been the only game I've run. But And victorious nine years of play test. <laughs> <laughs> just about ready for print. Almost. almost. All right, Liz. Okay, um, my number two, um, the preparing spells from memory. Um, that really struck me. I play magic users a lot. Um, I like how you use the magic user class in basic fantasy, where you always have read magic, and it mag- read magic is considered to be a spell that any magic user uses so often that... You know, they can just do it. They don't have to learn it um, or, you know, re-memorize that spell per se. You or, know, it's just... Or roll for it or waste a spell slot on it. Yeah. Uh, you do You do have to consume a spell slot. It is a spell. Yeah, You but, don't just get to cast read magic anytime you feel like it. Yeah. If you haven't prepared one for the day, you don't get it. But, but you can always prepare it even without your books. Right, because you've done it so often. You don't have exactly. to refer back to the book to, it's like, oh, you know, I, I've forgotten already how I did this. Um, but the whole idea of giving the magic user an opportunity to try to prepare a spell when they don't have their spell book, say if they've been captured, you know, that you can make that roll against your intelligence ability. And, um, you know, if you fail, you've still burned up the spell slot. Um, but you do have an opportunity, you know, if all else seems lost, you can try. Um, I really ah, liked that. Um, thought I was helpless, but I can unleash read magic on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you can try to do a spell, you know, that you have audit- that you would have in your book as well. But for that, you have to roll to see if you succeed. Mm. Um, so, say if I had a knock spell, but I've been trapped without my book, and I'm in a cell, I have a possibility of maybe recreating that spell from memory. And getting myself out, um, I think that's a really cool option to be able to do. Um, personally, I might try, you know, to as a DM to have a random table of consequences if the attempt fails, <laughs> just to keep things interesting. But um, but uh, I think that's a cool thing to have as a possibility. So or you prepare you prepare read magic out of your head so that you can read learn the spells you have tattooed on your arms for just such an occasion. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that actually came up not to read magic, but that came up in in one game um, when I, we were actually playtesting the uh, Cave of the Unknown from uh, BF1 Morgan's Fort. There is a uh, practically inescapable trap. 
uh, or probably should say practically unavoidable trap that the players got caught in. Uh, and their characters wake up in a jail cell. The magic user had expended all his spells uh, and didn't have any slot, anything available. But I ruled since he had slept because they had been knocked out by knockout guests that he had all the slots available but no spell books. He uh, managed to make the roll for the spell enlarge, but he memorized it or prepared it, I should say, as the reverse, diminish, and shrunk the door. And they got out of the cell. <laughs> nice. And thus they were able to complete the adventure. They weren't 100% successful, but they survived it and the bad guy died, so that was close enough. Uh, but yeah, that does, uh, that, does, that, does, that does come up occasionally. And I'm glad you like it. All right, Corby, over to you. Actually, I was going to comment on the uh, – <laughs> I feel bad now because I'm commenting on stuff outside of the book. But it's all free stuff. But if you, if you go to the website, they're character sheets. You, you mentioned the one, uh, but the one that I really love is by James Lemon. I think it's called the Sketchy Sheet or, or Sketchy or something. It, it looks like it's been scribbled, like somebody wrote it with a crayon or something. <laughs> okay. It, it's, I'm going to have a, to go look at that one now. Oh, it's a great, great – I mean they're all really good. There's some that like if you like third edition – it looks just like third edition. If you like the original Moldvay character sheet, they're there. I mean, you could get practically, as far as the collaborative part of this game, you can see that everybody's gone through and made, I think there's probably 25 different character sheets. You can get any one you want. Okay. James is just says character sheet by James Lemon. So I'm not sure where the sketchy comes from. I'm going to go look at that now. <laughs> but the character sheets are great. If you, I, I, I know I, I always enjoy a character sheet in a game. But if you really want variety, you want to go and pick like any one you've ever liked, somebody's made that version of it for basic fantasy. Well, so, as long as and there's I, and an I'll area. publish about any any of them. Like as long as there's an area where you can make a drawing of your of your character, then I'm good with a character sheet. But there's <laughs> gotta be a little section where I can do a do a doodle of my character. Well you can doodle. There's a lot of doodling. Uh, Phil Morris <laughs> and Mike Hill both have sheets like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Doodles like Simon Simone Fellies has it also. Yeah, there's some that are very artistic too. Like if you really wanted to go to town on something, that there's some cool ones in there. But okay. that's just the sketchy type one is the, the one that I really like. I, it's just adorable. <laughs> okay, Chris, any rebuttal? Uh, no, um, okay. that's one of the things that one of the things that's wonderful about running a collaborative project is that we have so much stuff like this. Um, I, I didn't even remember the sheet he was describing because we have so many <laughs> mm-hmm. and I, I admit practically all the time I working with our character sheets, it's either the notebook paper sheet, which I actually, oh, print on, which I actually print on notebook paper, um, for camp for, for, uh, convention games and James Jarvis's sheet that I always use for a regular game. Um, I really hate when somebody uses a different sheet at my table actually, because I have to find stuff on it, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Hey, I can live with it. The notebook paper one looks like the one in the original Moldvay uh, print copy at the at the front of the book. I always love that one too. <laughs> okay. uh, I'll give you twenty bucks to like I did it by hand. So I'll give you twenty bucks to put a link on the website that says the original original character sheet, and it's just a scan of an index card. <laughs> uh, no thanks. All right, Jim, number one. Uh, we've talked all around it, but I I still want it to be my number one. Is just the uh, price of basic fantasy. Uh, RPG. I mean, it's point of entry is the easiest of any retro clone or virtually any game I know. Uh, free PDF or a virtually at cost print version. The uh, webs like if we tried to provide links on our web- on our website for this episode, there would be like twenty links for where to go to get 
the print copies of this thing. So we'll put one to the Downleaks page for Basic Fantasy. But you have your choice of Amazon, Lulu, CreateSpace, paperback versions. I mean, the PDF, again, is free, but the paperback versions range from like 4 bucks and 10 cents to four fifty. Um, hardbacks around 15 bucks. an option for coil-bound for like $9.35. So it's just any way you would want it and dirt cheap, especially for the value you're getting. Um, if you don't care, uh, there's a copy for sale on eBay right now for 25 bucks. <laughs> How much to get it tattooed on your arms? <laughs> <laughs> I know a guy. I'll have to find out. Yeah. Okay. My number one would... Foul. Hmm? That was my original number one, and Mike, you said, oh, well, you want to talk about that in Products of Imagination, but apparently Jim gets special treatment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. <sighs> Rules. <laughs> oh, it, it okay. is in the show notes. Format, layout, and price point of product. Products of your imagination. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read that far I- in the show notes. Nice asking for forgiveness after doing it, Jim. <laughs> well played. All right. Mine, one book. I like that. I wish more games would do that. I know it's tradition, particularly in fantasy games, to have a player's book, a monster book, and, an, and a referee's book. But I, I prefer everything just in one book and go. So I like that. It- you know what? It wasn't mm. the tradition around, oh, say, 1981. The only reason we got two books is because they divided the levels up. But well, in fact, in fact, if you were playing a basic game around circa 1981, you got one book that had everything from uh, from the player character generation all the way back to the treasures. Mm. And Although, that, but that was what I was emulating. Yeah. Well, except uh, if you count the OD&D brown books. Yeah, they were broken. You know, it's also balanced really well. It's like the first third is all character creation, second third is all monsters, and then the third third of the last part of it's all DM help stuff. Yes. So it's really well spread too. It's not just a big pile of one thing and you figure out the rest. Yes. Wait your turn. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Rules. <laughs> Liz. Um, okay. Uh, for my number one, um, going to creating characters. And the section about, quote-unquote, hopeless characters. I really liked the suggestion on how you could determine whether or not a character is truly hopeless. Um, Summing up the ability score bonuses or penalties and seeing what the total is. And if your total is a negative number, then you would probably want to allow that player to re-roll their character. But if your total is zero or a positive number, then it's like, no, that character is not hopeless. You know, play it. You can do it. <laughs> you know, I uh, recently switched to a different method, not of determining. Your, what you're describing is exactly what I do. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, we actually changed the method of rolling so the players don't so – I have watched players roll um, two col- well, six columns of numbers and go three times down the page trying to get one that's not negative. <laughs> Our dice are obviously cursed. So now we roll one time, and if the total comes up negative, we flip all the numbers, subtract them all from 21, and they're all inverted, and all the bonuses become penalties, and all the penalties become bonuses. So it's not like the character is going to have no penalties, like with the 46 and drop the low die, which frequently creates characters that have only bonuses. But rather, if the character has um, more penalties and bonuses, we simply give them more bonuses than penalties. 
that method seems to work really well in, in play. We've used it for the last uh, couple times we generate characters, um, and I've had a few players. And I would like to claim that that was my idea, but I think I actually got it from someone else. So oh, there you go. I, I must insist that four die highest three doesn't end up with bonuses with my character. <laughs> well, if your dice are cursed, I suppose not. Yeah. Eh. But anyway. I am such a hard ass because it's 3D6 in order, take what you get. The way God and Gary Gygax intended. <laughs> ah. Yeah, but as he points out, if you roll sufficiently low, especially for your first four attributes, then you're not technically you know, you don't have the skills to play any of the basic care classes. I mean, you could be a eh, fighter, you know, but you wouldn't even be good at that. Mm-hmm. So take him out and kill him. Roll two or three up at the same time and <laughs> kill them all, except the good one. <sighs> take Sorry, him out the back behind am... the woodshed and kill him. <laughs> forgive, forgive me, I am a product of my times. <laughs> no, uh-huh. Paul, this is my character. <laughs> I'll, I'll do, do it. it. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Sometimes those lame-ass characters live and when he's 10th or 12th level he's great i've never seen that <laughs> and I'll, yeah they really make it that far but they do tend to have really good stories uh, this is true remember how that one guy burst in the flame and ran around screaming for hours hilarious <laughs> oh wait we're talking about a game here um <laughs> over to you corbett okay i wasn't gonna bring this up until you decided to spite me so i will spite Fight this podcast back. Fie. <laughs> Fie upon you. So what is your spiteful number one? Saving throws. Pay, rules, uh, rules book, page 152. Save or die, or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Chris put in the option to make death, or at least painful saving throws, not quite so painful. Why'd you do that, Chris? <laughs> well, everybody all, turns on Chris. <laughs> first of all, you'll notice it's in the Game Master section in optional rules. Optional rules, yeah. That's ah, right. okay. Um, <laughs> it was. That sounds uh, like a weasel. <laughs> well, no, it's not. Actually, what you see there is how I've been doing it. I've always found it strange that uh, you know uh, Joe Fighter picks up the picks up the potion vial, takes a sip, and keels over instantly. Very rarely does that happen in real life. There are even the most toxic poisons out there take a few seconds to kill you. Um, I always preferred a, preferred a system where it, the character had uh, some chance of surviving the poison uh, after suffering some damage. Whereas in the standard method that you all are talking about, you either are dead or you're fine. But that's, you know, you're getting the saving throw to begin with. That's a chance to avoid it. Right, exactly. And that's I'm, I'm going with that. But this is a situation where a character could, and realistically, low-level characters, they're, they're looking at something along the lines of 10 dice of damage. Odds are very, very good that that's still going to kill him. But it gives a possibility if they plow enough healing magic into the guy that he might survive. And it also gives you your high-level Conan hero-type characters who might actually you know, shrug it off with you know, significant damage and they're not in such good shape. But, you know... They're still mm-hmm. going. I did it because it suits my style of play. I made it optional because it doesn't suit everyone's. Yeah. It's like, I'd like to bob at it, but you put it under options. So, you know. It's right up there with the way I handle um, energy drain. The negative level rule, which is not optional. It's actually the way the game is written. 
um, was specifically written to suit me. Not because I thought that the rule needed to be easier on people. In fact, there are situations where the negative levels are harder on characters than than losing levels. Mm. But rather um, because the the paperwork is easier. Honest to God, that's the reason. The paperwork <laughs> for negative levels is so much easier to keep track of than dealing with the deductions of experience points and rewriting all the characters' stats and so forth. Yeah. Giving them a straight minus one across the board for each level they've lost plus deducting a hit die from them each time. That's a pretty good penalty. And uh, it because you know, if they can, they're going to go pay for a restoration spell. But you got to keep track of all the numbers and all the paperwork involved in that. Why? So yeah. I I changed that rule specifically to suit my style of play. Um, and I've heard very few complaints about it. Most people are more than happy to either do it that way or just do it their own way. Mm. Your argument well, is cogent, funny. lucid, and well presented. I thank you. <laughs> it's wrong. It's the no. booze talk. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> You can consider hey. it wrong if you want to. I have no problem with that. Um, I am all no for game anything is... that cuts down paperwork. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 no jo- I'm joking. I'm just trying to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> See, for me, it's a it's a save for for story. I know you guys hate that, but uh, there's times when you're like, oh, okay, you're gonna blast a hole in the side wall and jump down into a pit. And the monster is gonna kill you. Roll your save. Oh, you failed your save. Okay, instead it's a trash compactor, and we'll go from there. You know, you, you kind of give the characters sort of a second moment to not kill them immediately and ruin the end of your fun story. Hmm. But I'm weak that really way. Looking at, I was really only looking at when I wrote the rule, but uh, I can see your point. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. That'll work. <laughs> <laughs> that right. was my plan all along. <laughs> well, then, uh, we'll move on. Chris, you've got any final comments on our top five lists? The one thing that no one said anything about that I really expected to be brought up at least once was Ascending Armor Class. Glenn's that not was, here anymore. Huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Actually, I like it, but I, I, wasn't, I was only allowed to talk about five things. <laughs> I, apparently there's a rule. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently. I don't have a problem with Ascending Armor Class. I've only had a problem with people saying that Ascending Armor Class is good because it's it's easy, and descending armor class is so hard to learn. That it's always kind of ground my teeth. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm going to tell you something here. It's not hard to learn. I did descending armor class for, what, 20 years? Yeah. Before, uh, before I started playing a game that didn't, did, didn't do it that way. If I had thought of ascending armor class back in 1981, I would have used it then. Because I am terribly slow at looking things up on tables. And while the players typically just have one column of numbers down their sheet, if they're playing a game like that, that tells them what armor class they've hit, i got to look it up for every different kind of monster that walks into the room. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm terribly, terribly slow at that. Stuart Marshall, once in a conversation online, um, made a comment about why I liked it the way I did. And I made that comment about tables. And he said, I thought you were smarter than that. (laughs) (laughs) But there you go. Um, I am I am very, really slow at doing mathematics in my head, and I'm really slow looking things up on tables. Yeah. So I have structured the game so that I can game master with a bare minimum of either of those features. About the only math I do is addition. I don't have to do much subtraction. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't have to deal with that, and I don't have to look up tables while I'm in play. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's also I- why the monsters progress the way they do. Plus one AB for each um, hit die up to nine is because most of the time I don't have to look up their attack bonus. Yeah. Also, that makes it easier on the the whole kid factor we talked about earlier. My my kids quickly pick up ascending over descending. I I'm sorry. 
But Stupid it, kids. <laughs> it, it all had to do with just efficiency on my part. If you pick up Iron Falcon and crack, and crack the book open, you'll see it's all descending AC. It's all traditional mathematics. Um, but for the game that I want to play most weekends, it's going to be basic fantasy. Well, I know when, be ascending Liz, AC. when Liz and I were involved with uh, Castles and Crusades playtesting, um, Steve sent me an email going, you know, I'm thinking of going with ascending D. Uh, armor class instead of descending, what do you think? And I said, as long as I can subtract it from 20 and get my descending AC, I don't care. I just want to say, Chris, because I was joking around and maybe it fell flat, most of these little fiddly bits, I really don't care, especially if I'm playing. If I'm sitting down to play Labyrinth Lord or I'm sitting down to play Basic Fantasy or I'm sitting down to play First Edition AD&D or DCC or whatever, I'm happy to play rules as written. Whether my magic missile automatically hits or whether, you know, it kills the big bat at the end because I spell burned. It doesn't matter to me as long as I understand the rules. I'm happy to play play it as written because uh, this speaks to your point because the fun always comes from the group you're with and the DM that's running it. And that DM is going to be running the system they're comfortable with. And if I'm part of the group, I'm already participating in that. I've already bought into it. So yeah, ascending, descending does not matter to me one bit. All right. Let's head on over into products of your imagination. In new Dungeons & Dragons, power is won by finding new ways to battle. I can feel the darkness inside me. And being completely dragon-flapping awesome. Set comes with spellbook, ritual rites, playboard, sacrificial dagger, and dice, dice, dice. TSR Hobbies, Dungeons & Dragons games. Products of your imagination. Bing, bing, bing. I love that bumper, by the way, Jim. I can feel the darkness inside me. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> All right, now we're talking about the game as a product, both a physical product and or as a PDF file. And since she just got her degree, we're going to start with Liz. Oh, well. (laughs) Well, This graphics designer. Ah, well, looking at the PDF, um, it's very easy to see a visual correlation with the basic expert rules, um, particularly with the typeface used, etc. So I liked that feel going through it. Um, You know, just looking at the typography and the layout, you can immediately see what version of the world's most popular role-playing game this is supposed to be hearkening back to. Um, So... In in that regard, I think it works very well, and you know, a plus on that. Uh, okay. For anyone who cares, souvenir typeface. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, I uh, really like the way it's laid out and designed. It's just perfect. It's everything I like in layout and design, including justified copy in the columns. Well done. That's a pet peeve of mine, um, and the cover art. It was excellently selected, and so many of the retro clones and even some uh, professional products, they, they, you know, like, sorry, Labyrinth Lord, your covers are lame. Not basic <laughs> fantasy. That's a nice nice piece of art. I, 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 My only hit on the whole thing art-wise is I just wanted more of the art from the artists you, you hired and less of the old, uh, whatever you call clip it. Clip art? Yeah, the old clip art. But I understand that that's not practical or prudent. Well, I tell you, I'll, I'll be real brief here. Two things. Cover art was done by uh, Eric Wilson. Eric Eek. did it on – yeah, Eek, exactly. Eric ah. did it uh, – I'd like to say on commission, but he wasn't paid. 
Um, I asked him if he would be willing to do a piece for me. He'd already given me several pieces to put, to put in the book. Um, but when I brought the second edition out, I felt like I wanted a color cover, and I asked him if he'd be willing to do it. And he said yes, and he sent me that piece. He understood that the game was intended to be a little fast and loose, a bit of a sketch, rather than a, a polished, finished thing. He can do polished and finished just fine. But he did that cover, um, and he really captured what I was going for. That cover's second great. Thing, second thing, um, all the art in the game uh, that's not in the category of public domain clip art uh, was contributed. Every bit of it. Um, I make nothing on the game. All the text contributions were, were contributed, and so was all the art. So, maintaining that collaborative idea. Which also is why there's not more of it. Uh, if it was a, a for-profit operation that was actually making a profit, uh, then yeah, I would go back and uh, the third edition especially would have grown a lot more artwork. It, it gained a little bit, but it just wasn't a situation where, where I could do that. So, Okay. You know? It is what it is, I guess. I hate that saying, but uh, it is. <laughs> well, that's why I said we're pra- it's not practical or prudent. I understand. No, it's not. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad you like the cover. I love it personally. Corbett? You know, actually, I was going to start off with how much I didn't like the cover. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, when I first got it, I was like, this is a silly-looking dragon. And uh, don't take this because I really do like it now. And I, Actually, I almost love it now. But maybe I do love it. Let's just – I'm going to marry it, okay? <laughs> but – when I first saw it, it's a very abstract piece, and um, it, it when I was like, "Well, that's so so frustrating." But the more I look at with the thing, the the beauty of abstract pieces is, you look at them deeper and deeper, and you can almost see like claw marks in the the wings and faces on the body. It's really kind of cool. I'm I'm weird that way though, <laughs> but um, there's also a lot of art in it that I really 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 liked. Um, Specifically, there's a cleric on page 50. I see a lizard man on 102, and a, see a, there was a troll attack in a hallway in 123. And they all remind me of kind of that old, um, the old art that was in the original books. Specifically, I think the one that pulled me in originally uh, from Moldvay was um, uh, Jeff D's. Oh. The, the human talking with the, the halflings? Yeah, sure, yeah, I love that piece. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of pieces in yours that, that bring me back to that human emotion, that kind of, oh, I can see what they're, they're feeling in that. And there's a lot of artists who are really okay at doing anatomy or putting the piece out, but they don't capture that, that feeling of, oh, no, we're going to die, you know, or <laughs> you know, whatever it is. And there's a lot of great pieces in there for that. And, and they're classic looking, which is cool. I'm glad you like that. But it did take me a long time to like the cover. But oh, now it's, it's great. No, it's great. It's a really great cover piece. It's, just, it's something you really kind of have to realize. So, Well, okay. As far as the layout and format, I'll say that it, uh, when I ran it through my Kurzweil 1000 to convert it from a PDF into something I could read or MP3, um, it converted very cleanly. I didn't have any problems with... Uh, OCR or format or you know bits of text at one place where it should be somewhere else that I've had trouble with on lots of other games. (coughs) (laughs) Souvenir is a very readable typeface. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, now you want to know something? Mm. I don't like it. I don't (laughs) like souvenir. I've never liked souvenir. Well, the game does not look right set in any other form. Yeah, that that is true. I I will say it. Souvenir is a the visual of the typeface. I mean, if you've been around in the 1970s, 
a lot of advertisements used the boldface souvenir for their text. I mean, you you have a there's a feel to that typeface already that just screams retro, um, and so you you either kind of love it or hate it for that reason alone. Um, some people will say if you use souvenir, it's going to make your stuff look dated, but you want <laughs> that look for the basic fantasy RPG. Exactly. You know? But yeah, it is a very easy to read typeface. It's very friendly. Okay. Want to give some dragons then, Liz? Well, I will give, since I guess we're starting with me for dragons, I'm going to give this game, especially now that I've found out that there's no alignment, particularly Tiny. for monsters, <laughs> I'm going to give this four out of five dragons. Cool. Jim. I, Unlike Liz. Oh, sorry, you wanna, do you want to say more, Liz? Oh, I was just going to say the no alignment for people, or particularly monsters. I love that there's no alignment for monsters. Um, I liked that, the way you do spells for magic users and, you know, read magic. You know, there, there's a lot of stuff that I could see myself wanting to use in a campaign that I ran. So, it's, it's cool. Okay. Jim? Oh, well, unlike Liz, I only have 98% of a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Uh, I didn't take that last semester of French, but... <laughs> I, I, I love Souvenir. Well, you're doing more than... <laughs> and I love Souvenir. I'm going to go with 4.5 dragons. I mean, I'm just taking a half a dragon off. Uh, you know you know my rule about five. I, I only give fives if uh, I can figure out a way to make it any better. So a little... Right. A little, a little what, half a dragon for the art. <laughs> cool. Corbett? Um, you know, I love the uh, the adaptability of the game. You can walk into it and add anything you want. Kind of, it kind of is a built-in homebrew game system. Uh, so I don't know why you guys went so weird with it, but uh, I give it uh, one giant ancient red dragon. Why would why would you guys go to the other end of the scale where it's bad? No, wait, five is one good. is good. Five is perfect. Five is one good. One is bad. But now you're confusing me. <laughs> You've been listening to us this long and didn't realize. Five is perfect. One is go play Pathfinder. <laughs> Ooh, don't do that <laughs> yeah. oh Pathfinder's a game anyway <laughs> indeed it is uh, no I I would give it five I would give it five dragons Okay, five ancient red dragons how about that ancient red dragons I'm just you guys are going with greens and blues no 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 with, abstra- red. with abstract <laughs> wings that have claw marks through them mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well to play off what Corbett was talking about um, the homebrewness of the system. I think while I don't know that I'd necessarily run the game regularly, like uh, was mentioned earlier in the show, I think there are several things that I would steal for my classic D&D game. And because of the way it's set up, it would be very easy to do so. So I, too, will give it four dragons. And somebody with math? I can't believe you would steal it. I mean, no. steal it? It's not like this guy is here giving it away. He's trying to earn a living. <laughs> so we have four, four, four point five, and, and five. five. Uh, Seventeen point five divided by four. four. Point... Would it be easier if I just went with four point five? <laughs> four point three five nine seven two. Close enough. <laughs> Anything you'd like to mention about the game before we head out, Chris? Thanks no, for coming think, on the show, by the way. 
you're welcome. I appreciated it. I, uh, you know, I'll tell you one thing. I thought it was funny. I didn't realize who you guys were. We get that a lot. We get that all the time. Well, but Mike, um, you and and Liz, I both I've communicated with both of you a lot on Dragon's Foot years ago. Yeah, it's been yeah. a long time since I've been on back Dragon's the, Foot. Back and in you the know, and, and you want to know when I realized it when I installed Skype on my tablet and Liz's um, handle came up. Oh yeah, I'm still using that old picture. And I'm like, no, not the picture. Oh, the Indigo handle. Rose. Indigo yeah. Rose. And as soon as I saw that, I'm going, well, what do you know? <laughs> so it's nice to talk to you guys finally. Yeah. Um, I've still got that map you did up for me for studying the Hill Giant Chief. I need to need to run again sometime. You know, I don't even remember that. Well, and I've, I've actually I've done so many in the things. <laughs> oh, you have? Yeah. You don't remember it? That's okay. <laughs> I asked you about uh, science fiction, if there was a science fiction adaption of the game. And uh, like oh, other people was you. who want to have a question, you said the most smartest thing ever. was like, go do it yourself. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I told you you needed to hang out on the forum, didn't I? Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, hey, so, I, I, I didn't know who you were. I never met you, but I bought your game about a year ago. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, although, as I say, you don't have to buy it. But <laughs> don't I appreciate buy this what you game. Do. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to. Oh, no. Support the arts, man. I appreciate all of your – All of, I, seriously, guys, I make under 20 cents a copy off of it. That's about as low as I could get it. Um, and that's all, and that's really all I need to, to cover the costs. That's mm-hmm. all I need to do. Making money. I knew you were going for that. In fact, you probably <laughs> are. You know, as far as domain names and server space and everything, you're probably still losing. I host it through my uh, through the website for my business. I have plenty of extra storage. The only thing ah. I have to pay for is the domain name. The domain name gets covered easily by the by the proceeds from the book. So okay. every twenty five copies you sell, you can get a Starbucks. I don't. I don't drink Starbucks. Good for you, of, sir. What a waste yep. of money. Here, here. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I want to thank you guys for all the kind words. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. We appreciate you coming on. And now, right. as the tradition for Save or Die, we start playing the Hulk theme from the '70s, walking down the dusty road, thumbing a ride. And how do we? How do you go down the road this episode, Jim? Uh, I'm taking advantage of the lack of save or die mechanics and sampling a big chest full of potions as I go down the road. And the labels are all in souvenir. <laughs> <laughs> but are they correct? Uh, no, I'll, I'll let you know. Not. But I won't, yeah. <laughs> have, I won't have to save or die, so I can let you know. All right. Liz? Well, I would be going down that road, but I was knocked out and placed in a cell. But I'm going to see if I can prepare a spell from memory so I can get out and... That's pretty much what I'm doing. Join us on the dusty road. That's right. Corbett? I'm going down the road, pushing a wheelbarrow full of basic fantasy rule books and throwing one out every few feet so I remember my way back. I hope they don't get taken accidentally. Johnny VFRPG seed. (laughs) All right. Uh, You want to try, Chris? Sure, I'm going down the road with my flaming mall over my shoulder. <laughs> there you go. Vector ride. So I've just, I've just got my grim expression on my face. Yes. When he and briefly I... smiled, the other said, he bared his teeth at us. <laughs> hey, Mike. Oh, I... How are you going down the road? I'm getting down the road while trying to talk to a group of halflings and hoping they don't try to murder me like <laughs> in earlier versions of D&D. <laughs> Nice. And we're 
heading out. See everybody in episode 109. Bye-bye. See ya. Briark. And we're out. You know, Jim, I've been totally imagining you as um, Michael Keaton for like weeks now. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Well, I'll Michael take Keaton, that. Michael Keaton from Birdman, except Marvin the Mage is following you around like, that's a dumb idea. We should park this place. <laughs> <laughs> Stop talking to me. <laughs> I can't say this on air, but uh, Marvin's coming back. Really? Yeah, yeah, you mentioned another artist was working on it. That was I did that that bit and I was thinking like I shouldn't put it out I should put it out because like